0: Gina Della from Pella. Choose 5 years no interest and 5 months no first payment or 10-year 2.99 APR financing. Ends August 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com slash radio or 855-PELLAWI.
1: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So much, so much going on. You'd almost, it's tough to figure out exactly where to start. As I was mentioning with Steve, next week we're supposed to be in France. This was our delayed uh listener trip to normandy a place that i have always wanted to visit and it's just you know who the, the the news today is the European Union has recommended halting all non-essential travel from the U.S., uh, to, to Europe. Now, this is the European Union. Individual countries get to make their, their own rules. But, um, it's, it's again, it's like, okay, what, what's going to happen here? Candidly, I think this is as much as it often is about politics as it is about, um, actual safety. The U.S has not been open for non-essential travel from Europe, essentially since the start of the pandemic. And, uh, officials with the EU were, were meeting, including, uh, Angela Merkel from, from Germany. They, they were meeting with the Biden administration a month or two ago saying, look, you know, th- there's gotta be some reciprocity. And, you know, if you, if you don't allow our citizens to come into the U.S. for non-essential travel where our COVID numbers really are not materially different than your COVID numbers are, you know, be prepared for some retaliation. And that's apparently, I think, what's kind of going on today. But um, a number of people going on our trip said, what's going to happen? I said, don't know. Don't know. I'm sure we will find out as we work through this. I'm ready for COVID to be over. I do acknowledge that. It's just one thing after I'm just, I'm ready for it to be over. And, you know, anything we can do to get back to normal. So we stop having these fights about getting back to school. And is it going to be remote or is it going to be in person? And are we going to be wearing masks? Are we not going to be wearing masks? Are we going to get booster shots? It's just, you know, after going on a year and a half, I admit it is easy to get worn down by this. Okay. in in addition, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but uh, Hurricane Ida, hitting New Orleans in a big way. And I think the most staggering thing to me is one million people without power. Apparently, what, what happened is there are, I believe, 13 or 14 major uh, electrical providers. I mean, like facilities that, that provide electricity to New Orleans, and they're all shut down. They're, they're all shut down. So this, what they're saying is, well, we're going to be reassessing in the next day or so, and what we'll see if we bring up any of these, like, these these power plants to bring them online and then that that's, if power lines are down or stuff, you know that that's a whole different story but the, the power generating sources are, are just all shut down right now and some of the stories say that they think that parts of New Orleans, or at least a large part of it, may be without power for going on three weeks. Can, can you imagine? You've got the flooding going on, you've got the intense heat and then, you know, you're without power for three weeks. The other story that's out there is, um, there's a huge concern about looting, and I, I, you know, you just, you, I mean, what a mess. Your, your heart has to go out for these folks, and this is like 16 years after Hurricane Katrina. You're looking at some of the pictures this morning, and it's just, it, it's just incredible. I do. Actually, Mike Spalding was had to run out to do something else. I was going to ask him to make a promise to me, though, and that is that that in the future, when he is running some large television newsroom, for example, and Mike might very well do that. He's a very talented man. I, I want to make him promise that you know when, when if he's making these decisions as to where you send reporters, that when when there is a hurricane that is hitting. You do not send reporters and make them stand in the middle of the storm. I, and I've, I, I've been, I've been railing about this for twenty plus years. The the insanity of uh, TV reporters, for example, telling everybody stay home. This is dangerous conditions. You've got a Category one storm that's hitting. There's dumpsters that are flying through the air. There's roofs that are coming off of people's home. And then you have you know Al Roker standing there in a wetsuit, getting you know just just battered for for what end? I mean, just pull the cameras inside and take pictures of this. You don't need to put human beings there. And it's a miracle that more people don't get killed, all for this staged sort of thing. Everybody understands there is a hurricane going on. You don't need to put some poor reporter in the middle of this. All right, so that's that's my rant. All right, let us get started. As a result of the pandemic... We had all sorts of things that changed, and, and the argument was we're going to do this tempor- on a temporary basis. For example, a lot of the a lot of the arguments about uh, elections and stuff were up until COVID. We were doing elections just fine and we were doing we had a set of rules for how we do elections well then what happened is because covid hit and there was a pandemic and there was concerns about people going in and standing in line to vote or whatever we had all sorts of of changes that were made to election laws and they were kind of made on the fly, and in most cases, they were made without the approval of the legislature. But but the justification was this is temporary because it's the height of this pandemic and we don't have vaccinations, et cetera. Well, now what's happening is you have a number of legislator legislatures across the country which are rolling back the election rules to say, look, we're the, the, the stuff that happened with COVID was a one-off. This was something we did because of the pandemic, but it was never intended to be some sort of permanent change. And that, of course, has just generated all this controversy. Oh, my God, this is like Jim Crow. This is terrible. We we, we have to, by going back to how we ran elections prior to March of 2020, this this is just terrible. We're denying all these people the rights to vote. It's, it's sort of like the idea of never let a good crisis go to waste. One of the other things... That happened was with regard to how we feed kids in schools. And as a result, it always used to be as a general rule that if school districts choose to participate in either free or reduced lunch programs, they have the right to do it. And there's a federal program that's set up. And if the school district chooses to participate, what can happen is if you are below, if you live in a family that's below a certain income level, you, you get a free lunch. If you're above that minimum level, but below another level, you qualify for reduced school lunches, right? Okay, because the idea is nobody going hungry. But if you are above a certain level, for example, I don't know if mom and dad are both doctors, and mom and dad are pulling in, I don't know, 400K, and their kids are in public schools, the general thinking is mom and dad can afford to take care of the kids' lunch. All right, now, I understand that that might be some sort of novel idea, but that's always how, how we've been. The idea is we're going to provide lunches, either free or reduced, but we're going to do it based on, you know, need. How how, how, how Where it is that? We're going to do it based on need. Well, after the pandemic hit, Uh, Again, seeing this as an opportunity, I think, to create one of these sort of cradle-to-grave entitlement things, the federal government came in and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to expand the program. Forget about need. We are, if you choose to participate as a school district, we are going to make free lunches available to anybody, free breakfasts available to anybody. You don't have to pay. doesn't matter what your family income is. doesn't matter um, whether or not uh, mom and dad have the ability to, I mean, make the lunches or whatever. We're going to give everybody free lunches. Now, of course, nothing is free. I mean, it's the taxpayers that end up subsidizing this. All right. So against this backdrop, after a lengthy discussion, the Waukesha School Board decided on a unanimous vote that they were going to opt out of the free lunch for all program. And there's a lot of reasons why they did it, including the fact that what they found was just incredible waste. When when they rolled this out, you know, uh, during the pandemic and stuff, what they found is that since people weren't paying for this and had no skin in the game, you know, people would get stuff and they just throw it away. It was there was because the kids. The, the kids, you know, were, were getting food and they were just, they would throw it away. They did not need it. So there was incredible waste. And people in Waukesha, at least in the school board, were concerned about this depend, this concept of dependency. Again, if you've got a family with income of a quarter million dollars, why are the taxpayers paying for lunch and breakfast for your kids? which I think is a reasonable sort of question. So anyhow, the Waukesha School Board made the decision, we are going to opt out of the Free Food for All Kids program. Now, one of the things that has been lost in this discussion. There was a piece on the Washington Post and a piece in the local paper which made these points, but it was in kind of the small print buried in the stories. All right, the Waukesha School Board has not done away with the free lunch and the reduced price lunch for the kids who qualify for it. It's rather, they're just saying, "We're, we're not taking the free lunch for all. And this has created a firestorm of controversy. Over the weekend, there were like I, I think some of the texts that were sent to members of the school board should be sent to the Waukesha Police Department to determine whether they constitute threats. The the members of the Waukesha School Board, in many cases, they've been vilified on these left wing bulletin boards and things of the like for being completely and totally uncaring because they don't care about poor kids being able to eat. Um, there's been a On some of the Waukesha school board members who run businesses, here don't patronize these businesses. These people are awful. All because the school board said, "Hey, you know, we're 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 going to revert back to where we were pre-pandemic. Free lunches for kids who qualify. Reduced price lunches for other kids who qualify." But but no. You know, if, if mom and dad make 300 grand a year, no, the taxpayers aren't going to give the kid free breakfast and free lunch. There is a meeting this evening at, uh, of the Waukesha School Board where they are in, in the face of a lot of the, the cyber bullying that's going on here, they're going to be reconsidering this. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. All right. Is there anything wrong with a policy that says, you know, we're, we're going to means test for, for free food for, for kids. And we're going to go back to where we were prior to March of 2020, essentially saying, alright, you know, if you qualify for the free lunch, fine, you get the free lunch. If you qualify for the reduced lunch, you get the qualified reduced lunch. But, Do the taxpayers really have an obligation to provide free, and I say free in quotation marks, food for all kids, regardless of mom and dad's ability to pay or provide meals for their kids? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And my answer would be, this policy to me makes complete and total sense. Where where do we get this idea that the government has a responsibility of taking care of providing food for every child, every school day of their life, regardless of whether or not mom and dad have the ability to pay. 855-616-1620, we discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, that's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, my children are taking free lunch. Could I make them lunches and or pay for it? Of course I could. But I am currently feel like if I'm paying for it in my taxes anyways, I might as well take it. I understand that attitude. I, I mean, that that's always been my philosophy. Look, if the government is going to give you something free, like when we had the big stimulus stuff, and, and you had the ridiculously high income levels to qualify for it. I mean, I, I understand if people were getting 1600 or whatever the number was, $2,000 whatever it was back, I understand why they would take it. But that doesn't mean it should have been given to everybody without regard for you know how much money they make so yeah i i get it if if the taxpayers are going to pay for your child's lunch or your child's breakfast i i understand why you would you would want to take advantage of it but at the same time does that mean that that's the legitimate expenditure of funny uh, of money, Jeff? No one is against assistance if needed, but it's time that parents that can afford food and lunch do so. These are your children, and you need to provide for them if you were able to do so, rather than expect the taxpayers to do this. Yeah, that's the, you know, that's the the whole idea of, of how this thing operates, unless. Unless we're going to wave a magic wand and now say, parents, regardless of income, you don't have to worry. We are going to provide this cradle to grave service. And, you know, from now on, don't worry about giving your kids breakfast. Don't worry about giving your kids lunch. Doesn't matter how much money you make. We are going to provide that for you. And so the government will take care of you. Now, if that's, you know, what you think the role of government is, you know, okay. All right, that that's fine, but let's understand what this is. It is a major league entitlement program that, in many cases, people are not, or at least in my opinion, should not be entitled to. Jeff, I agree. Maybe the runaway spending wouldn't be as bad if it was truly based on low-income families. And see, and this has been one of the things I have been raising from the beginning of the pandemic. Let's give you another example. This whole rent assistance moratorium that just recently got shot down, you could qualify for the eviction moratorium if you had a household income, husband and wife, you know, filing jointly, of less than $198,000. Seriously, $198,000. I, I understand maybe you need to put in an eviction moratorium to prevent low-income people from being thrown out on the streets. But that's not what they did. They set it at $198,000. And my guess is a lot of the landlords that were trying to collect their monthly rent were probably making less than $198,000. Chris in Cedarburg. Chris, you're on WTMJ. Hi, hon.
0: Um, you know, I really, I really just wish that the food and the nourishment and uh, breakfast and the fruit would all go to the people who really need it because, as we know, the uh, well-off or you know they, they could pack their own kids' lunch, and most of those kids aren't going to eat what's provided by the school anyway. And I know this because I've I've you know seen the garbage and, and you know the people take the, the brown bags which are full of great food and they just they don't even open them. They mm-hmm. just throw it away. Yeah. But the people who really need the food, they're eating it or bringing it home for loved ones or their family and that type of thing. So, I don't think it's uh, 100% we should feed the whole the yeah. whole school, but I think the ones kids that really need it really need it, and I think that's where the money should go. Well,
2: and, and Kristen, you have absolutely no argument from me at all, and that's one of the things that I think has been very, and look, if you read the stories, there's a big story over the weekend in the Washington Post that drew all of this really hate email towards the members of the Waukesha School Board, and and, and it's it's in there, but it's not the, the subject. If you read the story, the idea you get is that, okay, they're they're pulling away free meals from everybody, and that's not true. All they're doing is going back to the system before March of 2020 which indicated all right here, here's the deal you know you, you have to qualify and, and I see and I'm with you and one of the things that they did in Waukesha and this was not a knee-jerk reaction it was something they looked at they were studying waste and, and what they found is to your point Chris exactly that a lot of the kids who, who eat breakfast at home or, you know, get, mom makes the lunch or they have money to, to buy the hot meals or whatever it is. They, they take it because it was free and they, they, they wouldn't want it. They, they just kind of chuck it out. They said the waste was just absolutely incredible because the kids did not need it because they were getting fed at home. I am with you 110%. Let's, let's focus on providing food, whether it's breakfast, or whether it's lunch, or whether it's like an after-school snack, or whatever that might be. Let's focus our resources on helping the kids who need it. Um, but for the kids, and somebody said, well, you're, you're using an example of, of doctors. Okay, okay, if you make $125,000 a year, if you make $100,000 a year, um, joint income, I don't think it is unreasonable to expect you to be able to pack a peanut butter jelly sandwich and an apple and send it with your kids, or alternatively give them two bucks or whatever it is for the hot lunch. That That's... I think the responsibility that comes in when you make the decision to have kids and you are not in one of those, uh, again, lower or low income or lower income categories. Now, if you want to argue, okay, well, we should increase the limits. All right. We we should raise the limits. Well, I'm willing to have that discussion, but that's not the conversation right now. The Waukesha School Board, they are apparently being viewed in some circles as the spawn of the devil because they expect – that people whose parents have the wherewithal to pay for the meals should pay for them. I hope, I hope they don't give in to the cyber bullies. I, do, I hope this afternoon or this evening when they have that school board meeting that they get support from the community in general. And I hope once the facts get out about what they're doing, you know, they're able to blow back to the cyber bullies that are out there who are portraying these people as evil, wanting to take free food away from, um, poor children. That's not what this is all about, period. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This story did not get as much attention because, and here's the thing: homicides, shootings are unfortunately so commonplace in the mean streets of Milwaukee that that they do not make the news on a regular basis or a lot of times. And, and if they make the newspaper, it's only because they're, there's some sort of spectacular thing. And, and at least one of the criteria used to be, if you had young people that were shot and killed, that at least was a lead story. But, but that's changing now. Now the only, I'm not saying this is the only place that places that reported it, but I, I didn't see it very in very many places. And that is that um, on Friday there were, there were two shootings. Here's the story as reported on uh, Fox 6. Two Milwaukee teenagers were shot and killed in separate incidents that unfolded at nearly the same time, Friday, August 27th. Around 4.20 p.m., police were notified of a shooting near 40th and Silver Spring. And, of course, if you're not familiar with area, Silver Spring is, is a major east-west thoroughfare that people would use to get from Shorewood or Glendale over to, uh, again, the the west side of the city or Brookfield or whatever. 4.20 p.m. on Friday, uh, the victim, a 19-year-old man, sustained a fatal gunshot, fatal gunshot wounds. Okay, so this is 4.20 on 40th and Silver Spring, 19-year-old. Roughly one minute later, police were notified of a shooting approximately two miles away, near 62nd and Call. There, police found an 18-year-old man with life-threatening injuries. Officers administered CPR, but the victim was pronounced dead at the scene. Um, MPD is investigating. Uh, they're seeking unknown suspects. So this is 420 on Friday afternoon, 40th and Silver Spring, which I don't think of. I mean, I, I've... In the past, driven that route all the time. I don't think of it as necessarily an incredibly dangerous route, but maybe I need to rethink my, my thinking here. Um, 60 second and call. Uh, again, it, it's not, it, it's, you wouldn't necessarily think that there's going to be people shot and killed at 420 on a Friday afternoon, but, but here you have it. So you have an 18 year old and a 19 year old who within a two mile space on Milwaukee's north side are, are killed on a Friday afternoon. All right. So and again, I'm, I don't I, I don't want to say definitively I saw no coverage, for example, of this in the local newspaper. And I'm willing to be corrected about that. But I I didn't see any and I'm not sure that I saw any similar coverage of this on, on any other television station, which is kind of scary in and of itself that you have gosh, that, that you have essentially teenagers, young adults, getting shot at 4.20 in the afternoon, and it's become so commonplace that it doesn't even make the news. But I digress. All right, so that's Friday afternoon, 4.20. You've got an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old murdered in a shooting. Well, here's what does um, make the papers. Group of protesters marches through the north side following recent police shootings. Around 75 marchers and a group of 20 or so cars took to the streets of Milwaukee's north side on Friday evening following three recent police shootings. So this this protest march happens after these teenagers are, are murdered. All right. Earl D. Lawhorn, 33, was fatally shot by Milwaukee police Thursday evening. Police said Lawhorn fled during an attempted traffic stop. Officers began a pursuit. After roughly a mile, the driver crashed in the 2800 block of North 41st Street, started running. Foot pursuit ensued. The suspect was armed with a handgun, refused to drop the gun after several commands. Two officers discharged their firearms, subsequently striking him. All right, so you've got that. Um, a week ago Sunday, Greenfield police shot and killed 31-year-old Tyron Lamb after a traffic stop and a, wait for it, two-mile pursuit into Milwaukee. According to the police, Lamb shot at officers after crashing his car near South 27th and West Beecher Streets, striking one in the chest. Yeah, this was the guy who murdered a police officer, Uh, not murdered. The the police officer is in critical condition following this shooting. At least that's the most recent information I have. And, and this lamb who fled from the police and shot one of the police officers. Yes, he was, he was shot as well. So you've got that story. And then on August 16th, Milwaukee police fatally shot 42 year old Broderick Shelton after they say he fired a weapon as officers approached a gas station. So you have three situations where people have been either firing guns or brandishing guns, fleeing from the police. And and yes, the police had to respond with shootings. But my point is, this is what gets the, the marchers. All right, you got 75 marchers. The group of protesters was organized by the People's Revolution. So the People's Revolution decides to take to the street to protest the fact that you have the police... One police officer who, by the way, was shot, other police officers who were shot at, three separate situations where individuals um, who have had prior brushes with the law, I believe in all three cases, end up driving with firearms, and I think in all three cases, they were illegally in possession of the guns. In a couple of the cases, they flee police, lead them on chases and things like that, brandish the guns or shoot the guns. And this is what the People's Revolution chooses to protest. They take to the streets to complain about, hey, the the police, all right, the, the police ended up getting in shootouts that were, in all cases, precipitated. Um, by people fleeing them who were, in fact, armed. So as the march continued, dozens of people came out of their homes to wave and present, uh, you know, make things and you know, say his name and do these screaming stuff and all. I'm just saying, at some point in time, you know, where are the protests for the kids that got killed? Where where are the protests for the 18 and 19 year olds that were shot on the mean streets of Milwaukee at 420 last Friday afternoon? You know, where are, are those protests? But we're outraged because people, uh, again, get into armed people who shouldn't have had guns in the first place, decide to flee from the police. And in one case shoot a police officer, but the outrage is the police officers respond, but yet nobody's taken the streets and protesting the 18- and 19-year-old kid that are killed. Nobody's taken the streets and protesting the, what, um, over 110, I haven't checked the most recent numbers, um, number of homicides in the city of Milwaukee this year. It is peculiar to me what we choose to protest and what we don't choose to protest. Just saying.
1: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: The pennant race is heating up, and this week it's in the Bay Area for a potential NLCS preview. The Brew Crew head to San Francisco for a four game showdown against the Giants. Our coverage starts at 8 o'clock tonight, sponsored by Steinhoffel's Labor Day Sale. Yeah, this is a big, um, this is a big weekend. I think you can make a strong argument that, uh, the road to the World Series runs through San Francisco. San Francisco has the best record in Major League Baseball. I believe the Brewers have the second best. The way it's shaping up right now, if the playoffs were to be held today, the Brewers would open up against the Atlanta Braves, and the Giants would open up against the Los Angeles Dodgers. The winner of those two series would then meet for the right to go on to the World Series. So th- this is going to be a good series, and I think it's going to be an indicator of you know how how well these teams stack up against each other a month from now. Brewer's gonna be glad to get out of Minnesota. The you know the the, the one this has been a magical season. Look, there, there's no question about it. They're eight and a half games ahead of Cincinnati. They're going to coast to their, their division championship. But the one the one sort of chink in the whole armor of, uh, has been the, the way they, they play against the American League teams. I mean, they, they, Kansas City is a bottom feeder in the American League. Brewers lost all four games this year against Kansas City. The Brewers, I believe, lost four out of six games against Minnesota. And Minnesota is not a particularly good team. One of the more disappointing teams in baseball. Um, they've still got games against Cleveland and Detroit coming up. It's just, for some reason, against, with the exception of the games against the Chicago White Sox, the Brewers have pretty much struggled against um, American League teams. And, well, that's a nice problem to have. I guess we can discuss what's going on once the— um, once. The uh, World Series rolls around. Then we can talk about how that whole thing works out. All right. Um, One of our texters made an interesting point. He said, "Jeff, you're talking about the lack of protests for the 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 murder of the the murders of the these teenagers or the 18 and 19 year old on Friday afternoon, which is still kind of freaky to me. It's 4:20 in the afternoon, not 4:20 in the morning, and you have some 19 year old that shot on 40th and Silver Spring. Well, but but there's." You know, the, the texter made the point of where is the outrage? As long as we're talking about the the selective outrage, where is the outrage? Where are the protests for all the reckless driving? Another day, another kid dead and another series of children injured because of reckless driving. Here's the story. 16 year old boy was killed. And three other teens were critically injured in a single vehicle crash Saturday afternoon caused by reckless driving. 3.30 in the afternoon, a driver lost control, struck a tree about 3.30 p.m. in the 3100 block of North 20th Street. The damaged car ended up on the grounds of Union Cemetery and apparently plowed over some tombstones. Two occupants were ejected from the vehicle. 16-year-old boy died. Three teenagers, ages 15 to 17, were taken to the hospital in critical condition. And and get this, here's the other dazzling detail. The police were looking for two others who were in the car and fled the scene. So 16-year-old dead. Three others that were in the car are are in critical condition, and two others who were in the car have fled. So here you have, and I don't know yet if the car was stolen or not. I'm I have a guess at that, but we don't know for sure. Um, but you have six people piled into a car. The youngest of the four that are in the hospital, or the one the 16 year old is, is in the morgue, they, they're it's 15 to 17. So th- these are these are kids. Um, you've got. Driving high rate of speed, uh, they were ejected, at least a couple of them were ejected from the car, which tells me no seat belts or anything like that. I don't know how fast they were driving, but the police are saying it's reckless driving. I don't think it's too much of a leap of faith to say this is probably 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. Somebody loses control of the car, slams into this, and, and then you have this carnage. The other interesting thing to me is that of two of them ran away, and I... I just try to figure if I was 16 years old or 15 years old and I was in this situation, a horrific car wreck, one of my friends dead, three others thrown from the car and in the hospital in critical condition, I'd like to think that I would have had enough moral fiber. Even if I was in this situation to begin with, I would have had enough moral fiber to To stick around and try to help help my friends who had been involved in this horrific crash, but instead apparently two of the six just like ran away like thieves in the night, and the police are looking for them and i 'm sure they'll 'll find them but you know rather than be accountable they they just fled leaving one of their friends behind dead leaving three others behind in, in critical condition again it just it raises wh- where are the protests about this you know where is the outrage every time something like this happens the outgoing mayor of Milwaukee goes on tv and appropriately says this is these are murders and this is this terrible stuff and we've got to stop it and we all agree but then we don't do anything to stop it and You have kids that die. You have adults that die. The only thing that's different from this situation than others is in this particular case, the driver of the vehicle, 16 years old. Apparently, it was a single car accident. He didn't hit and kill somebody else. He hit and killed himself and injured three of the buddies. Two others are just in the wind. Where are the protests? Where are the outrage about this? Where is the people's revolution when you really need them? All right, lots of stuff coming up on today's program. Don't go anywhere live from the
1: annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now
2: wtmj's jeff wagner okay this story is just flat out bizarre it comes from the world of sports but it has a a larger perhaps perspective the new york mets uh, the for years the New York Mets were kind of an also ran and, and this year they, they had a new owner a lifetime a lifelong Mets fans name is Steve Cohen um, and he's he's really rich he, he's he's a hedge fund trader and he, he bought the Mets and he made a commitment to say okay we're we're going to spend money on this team enough for the same old same old we are going to invest money and we are going to be competitive and to that extent he um, the, the Mets are Arguably, best player is a shortstop. His name is Francisco Lindor. He signed. Lindor was signed to before the start of the season a ten-year contract, three hundred and forty-one million dollars guaranteed. Three hundred and forty-one million dollars guaranteed. This year, Lindor is being paid twenty-two million dollars in base salary. And he's got another $21 million in a signing bonus. So the guy is pulling in 43 M as in million dollars this year to play baseball. So what, what are the Mets getting for that, that $43 million? Well, um, Lindor this year, he's hitting 224. And if you're not a baseball fan, I will tell you 224 is not good. <laughs> he's got 11 home runs. He's got 38 RBIs, which are very, very pedestrian numbers. It's certainly not what you would expect from somebody who's pulling in $43 million. But okay, people have, have bad years. Um, right before the trade deadline, the New York Mets went out and they brought in, they traded for Javier Baez, who if you might remember, he was the shortstop for the Chicago Cubs. And he's always been viewed as a very talented, but extremely volatile sort of player. So, so Baez came over about 17 games ago, and he was supposed to be the impetus. This was going to be one of the guys that, like, carry the Mets to the top. Um, Baez is making $11 million this year. He's in the last year of his contract. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, and I have a feeling I know where he's not going to be going back to. But but he, he's he's making he's, he's making $11 million for the year. Baez, since he joined the Mets, is hitting two ten, which is even worse than 224 but both of these numbers these are these are like i say very very pedestrian numbers on top of that um the mets were in first place uh, a few weeks ago and they have completely and totally cratered um just um fallen off the map right now i'm looking at their record They're in third place, 63 and 67, seven and a half games behind Atlanta. In August, the Mets are eight and 19. Um, Like I say, now they're seven and a half games behind. So they've they've completely imploded. Now, I guess, you know, there's still another 30-some games in the year, and they can turn it around, but they're on the wrong trajectory. And these extremely high-paid superstars are not producing at a superstar level. I think that would be fair to say. Okay, so why are we talking about the Mets? Well, here's the deal. The Mets fans have been incredibly... They've been frustrated because the Mets have not been good for years, right? And this year was supposed to be different. And they got the hopes up by, by playing well early in the year, and now they're cratering. And Mets fans are showing up. At, I was going to say Shea Stadium. That takes me back a long time. They used to play at Shea Stadium. So the Mets fans have been showing up. And when the Mets lose games and play badly, the fans have been booing the Mets, all right, oh my gosh, you know, you you struck out, you couldn't do this whatever. This is they've been booing. And you know, New York fans are notoriously New York fans are notoriously um hard to please. I think would be a fair way to say it. Here in Milwaukee, maybe it's like Midwestern nice or whatever, and I'm not saying that people don't get booed from time to time, but you got to work at it. But New York, different sort of different sort of world, different spotlight, etc. So the New York fans have been Haas, they've been on the team for the team's lack of performance. So here's what happens the other day. Baez and Lindor, who are are two of these players who are very, very much underperformers and getting a ton of money. So what they have started doing is when they do something good, for example, they get a single or a double – They will go on, they'll get on base. And you know, like, if you ever watch the Brewers games, the Brewers do this kind of like claw sign. Hey, I've just got a hit. They do this kind of like claw sign back to the dugout and and all. Well, what's been happening with these two players, these Mets players, is when they get on base, after they do something good, they're doing a thumbs down signal. So they'll, they'll, they'll turn the thumbs down, you know, like in the Roman Coliseum, feed them to the Lions. They turn the thumbs down signal. Well, apparently what this means According to Javier Baez, is they are booing the fans. They say, okay, these fans boo us. So what we're going to do is when we do something good, we're going to boo the fans. So that's what this thumbs down signal means. In, you know, I think there's probably another gesture that they would like to make to the fans, but they don't feel that they can get away with that. So they are booing the fans. Now, the Mets ownership is not happy with this, um, especially from these extremely highly paid employees. The Mets president said, these comments and any gestures by Baez or any other players with similar intent are unacceptable and will not be tolerated. Mets fans are loyal, passionate, knowledgeable, and more than willing to express themselves. We love them for every one of these qualities. And then the owner went on to say something as well. But you've got these players who are saying, wait a second, these fans are booing us. We're going to boo them back. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Are the fans out of line? Are the players out of line? What a mess. 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, I side with the fans. Fans pay money. Now, it's one thing if you're going to be standing there screaming obscenities and things like that at a player or, you know, some of these personally hurtful type of stuff. But if somebody makes a bonehead play time and time again, I, I think the fans have the right to boo. And you know what? If if you don't like that and appreciate that and you're the player, well, Javi Baez, give back your $11 million this year. Um, Lindor... Give back that $341 million that you're making. I think that comes with the territory when you are a professional athlete. Now, again, I understand that fans can cross a line. I I get it. And those fans should be tossed out and disciplined and things like that. But just because you're booing bad play, I think fans have a right to do it. I think these players are big babies. And I think you know the Mets are absolutely right in telling them, knock this off or we're going to start imposing big-time fines. What do you think? Players right, fans right. 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, given their respective batting averages, maybe they should focus more on their swings and less on crafting hand gestures. Yeah, That's an interesting point. Don't suck. And you won't get booed. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I swear, every once in a while, I, I think I've heard it all. And, and this, this is it. The players are now responding, and look, they're, they're doing the thumbs down signal. But we know what this really, what that signal really means. They're responding to the fact that the fans are, are booing them. Well, the fans pay their salaries, and in this case, grossly overpaid salaries. And I think fans get to express themselves within limits. You know within limits and again i i understand if people are being personally abusive and things like that that's a whole different story but if somebody makes a bad play or does something dumb or you're unhappy that the team has just lost yet another game i think you have the right to boo that's what comes you get that right when you pay their money and you buy your ticket and you support the team by buying the jerseys and things like that let's talk to theodore in milwaukee theodore you're on wtmj
3: hey jeff how's it going
2: real well thank you what do you think
3: Well, it's funny because I remember at County Stadium, I think they got bought out or something with another company, but there was always people booing at the players and stuff. I mean, I think maybe people are just stressed out with the COVID and everything, and maybe the players are getting sick and tired of, you know, the fans, you know, accusing them of this or that. But, you know, I mean, isn't that part of the whole... I, idea of going to a baseball game to be able to, like,
2: you know, yeah, boo the players with... You, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. No, thanks. For, I mean, again, within limits, but you, you cheer and boo. Now, again, I, I, look, I understand sometimes you get these hecklers that are over the line and stuff, but that's not what we're talking about. But I'm with you, Theodore. This is the deal. You pay your money, and this is, to me, if you are a professional athlete, this is what you sign up for. This is why you get paid $11 million to play shortstop for a team for a year. This is why you sign a contract that they're going to pay you $341 million over 10 years. Just think about that. You're never going to have to work a day in your life. Your kids aren't your grandkids and probably your great grandkids are never going to have to work a day in their life because the New York Mets are giving you money to play a game to do something that that most people. Uh, people would kill to be able to do on a professional level, but they have not been blessed with that God-given talent to do it. And and here, your response, when the fans are justifiably upset and booing, you're going to make hand gestures at the people who pay your salary? And I understand why the owner is upset. I understand why the general manager is upset. And candidly, I mean, Javi Baez, I, I don't know where he's gonna go next, but you know, he, he was a rental that they brought him in. I, I suspect wherever he goes, it's certainly not gonna be New York. But the other thing is, if I was a general manager looking at this guy, now the other one, Lindor, he's under a 10-year contract, so I'm not sure what they can do to him. But if I'm a general manager in Major League Baseball and I'm looking at Javi Baez and he's behaving like this, I'm thinking, do I want this guy as a cancer on my team? I mean, do I want somebody to come in and then essentially say, you know what, to my fans, if if they get upset with him, um, you know, 855 um, 616 Here's somebody says, nope, um, it's not good sportsmanship to ever boo at an event. Well, okay, some people feel that way. Some people don't. But if you boo at an event, I think you have the right to do it. And it doesn't give the players who are being paid their salaries by what you do. It does not give them the right to respond in that particular fashion. And candidly, if I'm a manager or a general manager or team president, and I see the players this upset, it, it tells me that they're concentrating less on playing their game. And they're more upset um, with, with this. Jeff, if I went to a concert and the music was no good, I would boo. If you're not going to put a good product then out, then expect the worst. Well that that's kind of it. I mean if you let's say you go to a, a concert and the performer you're expecting an hour and 45 minutes of the, the greatest hits and the performer is in a bad mood and kind of insults the crowd and walks off after 45 minutes, leaving you feel like you have been ripped off for all the money you paid. Yeah, I think you have every right to to boo. Now again, there's limits on what that is, but I think you have every right to do it. Jeff Mark Race, who used to play for the Cubs, wore a T-shirt under his uniform that said, "Shut up and play." The meaning was, "Go out, earn your money with max effort and striving to win, and keep the controversial comments to yourself. Well, I think that there's a, a lot of this. Um, yeah, I think that there's um, you, you have you have the right to do this, and the the fact that these players would go the players would would go public with this. To me, just shows the complete and total disconnect. Do they not realize how this is going to play out? I mean, okay, so you've got you've got the fans of the New York Mets who are coming into town, coming into these games. Gee, when the players say, "Well, this is what this signal means," we're telling you what we think of you. Oh, that's going to go. That's going to do a lot to endear yourself to the fans. Plus, when you go on the road, you know you're going to get booed. Jeff, three words: production based pay. The New York fans are not wrong if someone is getting paid um one or 11 million dollars they had better perform well yeah i think that that's um it. jeff i think that fans here's another text have the right to express their dissatisfaction with what they see in the field it means they care even the packers got booed in green bay when they didn't perform at the highest level expected yeah, that that's you know actually. That's an interesting point. Um, one of my teammates, colleagues, has always made this point that the, the, the for what you want is you want the fans to be involved, and, and that can happen when the fans are winning, and it also can happen when the fans are losing. The very worst thing is that nobody cares. At least if player, if the people that are there and are booing these guys, well, they're they're paying their money, they're showing up, they show that they care about the team, and they are expressing themselves. The, the worst thing you want if you're in pretty much any profession but especially in in sports the last thing you want is your fan base to not give a rip about how well you're doing let's talk to james on the south side hi james
3: kind of stole my thunder there jeff but but that's true look at the brewers so uh, they got a lot of players that are tweeners and are overpaid too winning and being in first place makes a darker difference compared to the mets and some of these guys not hitting and not uh, doing that and uh N- not having a real good, uh, what do you call, a winning uh, percentage in that mm-hmm. makes a
2: difference. Well, it did. I mean, it, and it shows that the fans are involved. Okay. Um, somebody just sent me a text. Derek Jeter, Jeter who was a, a great player for the New York Yankees. I'm sure he's in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, in 2004, uh, this, this is a, a quotation from him, after being booed in 2004 after his average dropped to 197. I don't blame him. We would have booed ourselves tonight too. It's hard to be imagined being worse than we were tonight. Put me at the front of that list. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the whole, that's kind of the whole notion that's there. But again, it it comes with the territory to me. and, And this is the larger point beyond just the athletics. There, you know, if you are paid to do something, you know, you, you understand that there's going to be a, a lot of good stuff that comes with the job. In the case of uh the, the Lindor, you know, he's he plays shortstop for the New York Mets, he's making forty some million dollars this year. Forty some million dollars and he's Probably not. Well, he's probably hitting his weight, but just just barely. He, he's not playing well. The team isn't playing well. He's the face of the franchise getting all this sort of money. The great thing is you're the face of the franchise. People flock to you for autographs. You get endorsement deals and you get that. I mentioned a whole boatload of money. Well, the bad side is when you don't perform, you're on a very public stage. And yes, you are going to be held accountable. And I guess the bottom line is if you're such a snowflake and your skin is so so thin that you get upset when people boo you, Maybe you should give back the money and go try to get a real job. This is Jeff Wagner.
1: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on
2: WTMJ. Okay, so Melissa Barclay, let's have a reality check. Let's say that uh, the folks here at Good Karma decided, you know what? We want to recognize Melissa's excellence. So here's what the deal is. We're going to sign her to a one-year contract, and we're going to pay her $11 million. Okay. Uh, $11 million. <laughs> Okay, uh, $11 million. And then, I don't know, for whatever reason, maybe you get a story wrong or something like that, and you're out in public, and you're, you're, you're giving a presentation or something, mm-hmm. and, and, and some of the people in the audience decide to boo you. Now, did I mention you're making $11 million? $11 million, yes.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, and by the way, I hope this is in the works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly.
2: Okay, so you, you probably don't like getting booed. You know, you got a couple <laughs> no. people who don't like that. But at the same time, the fact that, you know, they're, they're going you little know, home. Right, they're mm-hmm. going home, and, and you're going to go and cash $11 million. Could you live with being booed a little yeah, bit? Yeah,
0: yeah, I think I could, especially for 11 mil. That would be nice. Yeah,
2: you could, you know. I
0: okay. would even do it for cheaper yeah, than that, well, Jeff. The, the, like, $1 million,
2: right, but I would that, be good
1: with well, that. Well, that. Well, don't
2: sell yourself too short, but yeah, but yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, it, it's kind of like, you know, okay, he, he, his feelings are hurt because the fans are booing him. Okay, mm-hmm. well, he's still cashing the $11 million yeah. paycheck. <sighs> Jeff
1: Wagner on
2: WTMJ. <laughs> I do not mean to sound like a broken record on this issue, but I th- there is... We're, we're coming to a head with certain things and and i it's one of these things that sounds good on paper and it, it might even make sense when you're sitting in a boardroom um, coming up with it but then there's there's this real world thing and and, and it, it's how do we how do we force people to get vaccinated and by the way I'm, I'm vaccinated i'm a believer in vaccinations and i said last week i intend to get my booster whether it's six months or eight months or whatever i get my flu shot every year i I've never had an adverse reaction. I think that's the way to go. But for people who've decided not to, for whatever reason, the idea of how successful we can be in trying to force them to do something that they're not otherwise inclined to do, I think it's very much an open question. Now, you saw this what a week or so ago when Joe Biden came out and waved his magic wand and said, here's what we're going to do. Any nursing home that takes federal money, which is almost all of them, I mean, almost all nursing homes, you know, take some form of federal reimbursement, whether it's, you know, Medicaid or or whatever. And he said, okay, well, anybody who any nursing home whose employees are not vaccinated by I think it was November 1st, fully vaccinated, we're going to cut off the federal money. And, and, okay, well, that's great. We want people working in the nursing homes to be vaccinated. Okay, that, that's wonderful. But the problem is the numbers I've seen nationwide are somewhere north of 40% of people who are working in nursing homes. And this isn't just skilled nurses. This is, this is the people that are swabbing the floors and cooking the food and all that stuff. These are, and cleaning up the trash and all that stuff, but 40% are not vaccinated. So what happens a month or two from now when, you know, you've got, maybe you've, you've gotten I don't know, of that 40%, maybe 10%, maybe 20% are vaccinated, but you still have 20% that aren't vaccinated. Are you going to fire them? Well, yes, we're going to fire them. Well, okay. Who's going to do the job? And, and, I mean, I just raised this as an issue. You know, what's going to happen? It, it can't It can't find help in nursing homes now. That's just the bottom line. So you're going to get rid of, you know, 20% of the people who are still coming into work? Okay, explain to me how in the real world that is going to work. And everybody just kind of poo-poo's it and says, well, I'm sure it won't be a problem. You're nuts if you don't think it's going to be a problem. Similarly, and this is kind of playing out with the skill fields number of hospitals are saying, all right, you, you've got to be vaccinated. And interestingly enough, the the vaccination resistance, it, it's its not just, gee, you know, somebody who's, you know, working, you know, in, you know, cleaning the, the garbage cans and stuff like that. It's among some of the skilled workers. I bring this up because, story in the Journal Sentinel over the weekend, um, workers from Ascension Franklin are protesting what one nurse called bullying from colleagues and the health provider, which has recently mandated vaccines for employees. Several of these nurses rallied Friday in front of Ascension Franklin Hospital in North on South Twenty uh, Seventh Street. That's St. Luke's, isn't it? I think, as part of a group called Healthcare Workers and Citizens for Choice. The protest is the latest in a string of similar actions in Wisconsin and across the nation following mandates, vaccine mandates from healthcare. Providers, Okay. And and again, this is the thing. So you get the hospital that says to all these nurses, you've got to be you've got to be vaccinated to work here. And you've got these nurses who are saying, no, we're 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 not going to do it. We don't think that we should be forced. Now, again, I I don't know what percentage of the workforce this makes up. Is it 10 percent? Is it 20 percent of the nurses that are there? I, I will tell you that I have acquaintances who are nurses who are talking about this, and they're saying these hospitals have no idea what is going to happen when this deadline day arrives, because there's a lot of people, for example, there's a lot of nurses who maybe they're at a point where they can retire. They don't necessarily want to retire, but they can take their retirement and move on, and and that's what they intend to do. Or alternatively, nurses are in incredible demand. There's a huge nursing shortage. Big story in the Wall Street Journal today about you know how much money some of these temporary services are paying to nurses to to get them to work because these hospitals are just desperate to get like nurses that are there. So I mean, I raise this question, and I understand we we say it in theory. Oh, you know, everybody should be you know everybody working at the hospital should be vaccinated. I get it. I understand that argument, but as a practical matter. All right, what's going to happen if October 15th rolls around or November 1st rolls around and you have, again, let's say 10... 15 percent of your skilled nursing workforce who says, to heck with you, we're not getting vaccinated, we're going to retire or we're going to go somewhere else. Now, I understand there's some people who poo poo this and say, oh, well, nobody will do that. That's that's not going to happen. Well, maybe maybe you're right. And, and maybe all these nurses that are out there protesting and saying that they're not going to get vaccinated, maybe they're just bluffing. Maybe at the end of the day, when push comes to shove, you know, they, they won't walk out. I think that's a very dangerous game of chicken to play. Now, I don't know how this is all going to play out. I I don't. But for everybody out there who's just simply saying nothing to see here, I I hope the nursing homes, I hope the hospitals, the medical facilities, whatever, I, I hope they have a plan B if all of a sudden, especially in a day and age where you can't find help to do stuff, You can't find help, and I don't think that's a controversial statement, regardless of whether you're running a restaurant or you're running a hardware store or you're running a movie theater or you're running a hospital or you're running a nursing home. You can't find help. It's just for whatever reasons, you, you can't find people to do the jobs. I swear, every... I will say almost every business I went into over the course of the last weekend had a help wanted store up up Hel- help wanted sign up on the door and I understand nurses are a a little bit different, but at the same time, they're they're more skilled. You can't just walk in off the street and all of a sudden start doing skilled nursing. I don't know how this is all going to play out, but again, whenever I see these stories, including this thing with the Ascension Franklin nurses, it's what what are you going to do at Ascension Franklin if you lose 15% of the nursing force? How are you going to continue to provide the patient care that you need? It's one of the reasons why Short of the vaccine mandates, I think some of the things that are being done, for example, like Delta Airlines, um, is is not firing people. But what they're saying is, okay, if you're not vaccinated, you know, here's the deal where you're going to have to pay more for your health care coverage. You're going to have to undergo frequent testing. If you get sick with COVID, it's not going to be paid sick leave. They're, they're putting in all sorts of things. Uh, again, it, it's a, it's, it's a stick, not a carrot, but it's not the ultimate. You're going to be fired. I don't know how this is all going to play out, but November 1st is coming and I just don't understand how nursing homes and hospitals and stuff are going to be able to continue to operate and provide a decent continuum of care if they end up suddenly losing 10 or 15 or 20% of their workforce. And some people say it's not going to happen. Everybody will give in at the end. I don't know. All right. When we come back, speaking of the medical field, I'm sorry I do not get this. Maybe you can explain it to me.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: I mentioned this briefly last week, and it it generated a huge response, including people booing me for daring to question why folks would would do this. And that's okay. I don't mind. I don't mind if you boo. That's all right. All right. There's this drug called ivermectin, and ivermectin is used primarily to treat horses and cows that have like tapeworms, parasites. That that that's that's its primary use. Now there is a secondary use that ivermectin has in very limited situations. If you've got head lice, it can be used topically. You know that you you put on, you get like the the liquid, you put it on, it kills head lice. And then it it can also it has some uses for like killing again parasites in in the human body. But it it's not used that often, and it's it's prescribed in very very small doses that that's that's the thing well somewhere out there the the word got out that this might be used to treat covid right now i will tell you i'm looking at the story at the new york times um, there there there's no evidence really that suggests that this stuff has has any does anything to to treat Covid, there, there's just none. There was one study out there that they were conducting that ended up being halted because what they said is that it just we were we were measuring people who got treated with with this ivermectin that was prescribed in these small doses versus people who were getting placebos, you know, this, this the sugar pills. There was no difference. I mean, there there there's no empirical evidence that says that this stuff works that, that does anything, and yet people are, are rushing out and and getting it. Well, here's part of the problem. Problem. A lot of people don't want to go the prescription route. So, what they do, I swear, hand in the air, they go to, they go to like cattle stores, for example. They, they go to places where you, you can buy this stuff over the counter when to give it to your horses or your cattle. And the problem is, okay, it's, it's the size of the dose. It, it's one thing, you know, to, to give, I don't know, a thing that treats tapeworms to a thousand pound horse. It's another thing to, you know, for a hundred and twenty pound person to take it. And so th- these numbers are staggering. Um, they're, they're talking about, for example, in 2019, I'm looking at South Texas Poison Center. Um, 2019, the center received 191 calls about exposure to. Inver ivermectin. They're on pace this year to receive 390 by the end of the year. The vast majority of these calls came from people who took a veterinary product in an attempt to treat or prevent COVID. Um, This is a doctor. He says, look, everyone wants a cure for COVID because it's a devastating illness. I plead with people to stop using ivermectin and get the vaccine because it's the best protection we have. Everything else is risk. You know, after risk and the, the numbers that they talk about, about the poison control things going through the roof. The FDA said last week, you're not a horse. <laughs> you know, it, it's not FDA approved for treating or preventing COVID. And if you take large doses, it can cause serious Harm, gee, you know, n- no surprise that, uh, gee, I'm I'm taking something that you give to horses for tapeworms, and gee, I- I'm taking this, and it ends up making me sick. But, but I guess the the bigger point is, and I understand that you're you're fighting this internet stuff, and everybody's looking for this magic bullet, but you, you go through study after study, and reputable sources say that there's no evidence that this stuff does anything good. Now, you know, if, if you take it again, you go to the cattle store and you take it in a a larger dose than you're supposed to, well, it's going to really mess you up. But even if you get the right dose, you know, and you take it, it it has no effect at all. And yet you have all these people who are willing to embrace this this alternative sort of source that's out there and say, okay, I'm going to take this. But many of those people don't trust the FDA and the vaccines. I'm sorry, I do not understand for the life of me why... I, I get that people are concerned about COVID and things like that. But I don't understand for the life of me why people are taking drugs that you give to kill tapeworms and parasites in cows and horses in an idea that they're, they're going to make themselves feel better for COVID, especially absent any reliable sort of medical information that it makes a difference. 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I'm sorry. I just I, I do not get it. And I guess more than not getting it, to me, this is such risky behavior. You know, we're not talking about, and and again, best case scenario, this stuff's going to do nothing. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, you're going to take too much of this stuff and you're going to end up in the emergency room because you are not a cow and you are not a horse. 855-616-1620. We discuss. Sorry, the text I'm getting just wear me out, <laughs> Jeff. This is shameful reporting. Don't don't you understand? This is a wonder drug which is being suppressed by the mainstream media. And, and uh, look, here 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 here's the deal. Let me give you the facts of this. And I I understand when people want to believe stuff, and I understand we go into these dark corners of the internet and people start sharing this stuff. But I mean, here here here's the deal. A recent review, fourteen ivermectin studies, more than sixteen hundred participants, concluded that none. None, none of these studies that it provided evidence of the drug's ability to prevent COVID, to improve patient conditions or to reduce morale, mortality. Another 31 studies are, are still underway. So, I mean, maybe there, there's, there's that. One of the largest trials studying in uh, ivermectin for COVID-19 treatment was called the TOGETHER trial. It was halt- halted by the Data Safety Monitoring Board on August 6th because the drug had shown to be no better than a placebo at preventing hospitalization or prolonged stay in the emergency room. Um, the professor who was running this, they had enrolled more than 1,300 patients, said we're going to discontinue this um, because it- it's just futile. You know, there's no benefits involved to the trial. Now, again, the best thing you can say about this is that if you take this drug at if you're somehow able to get a prescription from a doctor and you take the drug at a prescribed human level, well, okay, then it's probably not going to hurt you. I guess that's, that's the best thing you can say, but it's not going to do anything good. But, of course, the problem is, especially a lot of people out there, they're not going to their doctors and getting this. Um They're going to the feed stores, and they're going to the cattle companies or whatever, and, and they're they're getting the drug, and they're taking it in the doses. Well... If one pill is good, I'll bet you five pills is really good. And they're taking it in doses that you would give to horses and cattle. And then they're ending up in emergency rooms because they've overdosed on this thing. Look, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I want, I want us to be past COVID. Okay. I get it. I want this whole thing to be over. I want us back to normal. And I have no problem. With the idea that, you know, a lot of times there's a repurposing of drugs. Somebody was making the tech, the point in the text that, you know, Viagra was originally like a high uh, uh, blood pressure drug and now they found these other uses. I I completely and totally get it. I, I, I understand that sometimes you have a drug for one thing and you can end up using it for others. But before you just jump on this bandwagon, there normally has to be some evidence to support that. And there's really, at least if you look at the medical studies and things like that, and I understand there's people out there who are part of the big conspiracy and believe that, you know, the government is suppressing all these things and and stuff like that. But if you look at the medical studies that are out there, there's nobody finding that there's any benefit to this stuff. So, again, if you want to go out and you want to take the stuff that you give to your dog for heartworm, I guess go with God. My only advice would be make sure you talk to your doctor first, get it prescribed. Just don't go and, you know, and eat the heart guard that you purchased for your dog. You know, get it prescribed in a human dose if you can get it and, and take it in that dose. And for whatever you do, don't go over to Fleet Farm or wherever you would go, the cattle store or whatever, and buy this stuff in, in doses that you would give to horses and cows, because that's what a lot of people are doing. Because in that case, not only is it not going to help you with COVID, but it's going to make you really, really sick. Live from the Annex
1: Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I've been waiting all day to discuss this with you. It's and look, and I, I understand for some people, if you're listening to me and you're in your 20s or your 30s, you're, you're thinking, "Oh, what, the, what the, this Medicare stuff?" I, uh, you know, I, I understand that that's something that I, I you know, I'll, I'll worry about that 30 or 40 years. Now, if you're on Medicare, it's a very big thing, and if you're getting closer to Medicare, it's a it's a, something that's kind of. Um, in your process as well. But the question is, you know, given what's going on in Congress now, one of the issues that is before Congress, something that hasn't gotten a lot of at least public attention, but I think it deserves a conversation, and it would be a major expansion of, of Medicare. Now, let me explain this. You may not know this, but Medicare does not cover dental work. Medicare doesn't cover hearing. Medicare doesn't cover vision. So if you would, for example, if you, if you were to have basic Medicare and then you were to go out and and buy a Medicare supplement, you know, individuals like that can pay for, and I I have no idea how much it costs, but you can get limited vision coverage, you can get limited hearing coverage, you could get limited dental coverage. But basic Medicare does not cover dental procedures. And and one of the things that we, we all know is as we get older, the reality is that, you know, health tends to deteriorate. Um, your eyesight tends to deteriorate. Your hearing tends to deteriorate. And, you know, your, your dental needs in increase. And yet Medicare doesn't cover it. So right now, um, there there is a move afoot that would extend basic Medicare coverage to um, basic Medicare coverage to cover dental sort of stuff. And this is, you know, it's part of the large budget bill that's moving through Congress. And interestingly, um, it's being fought by dentists. I'll explain why in just a minute. But here's the number. Nearly half of Americans, 65 and over, did not visit the dentist. In the last year, and nearly one in five have lost all their natural teeth. And there's growing evidence that dental problems can worsen other health conditions that Medicare doesn't cover. Now, Bernie Sanders, now hear me out here, because a broken clock is right twice a day. Twice a day. You know, Bernie Sanders is one of the people who, who's pushing for, uh, again, advancing, you know, this measure, saying that, you know, the, the costs of, of dental treatment can be very, very high, and that cost discourages a lot of people from participating. Now in Vermont, their Medicaid program pays for preventive care and for up to a $1,000 in other treatment for children and poor adults, doesn't pay for dentures, that can run into thousands of dollars. Nationwide, around half of Americans 65 and older lack any source of dental insurance. Okay, let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Accunate Mortgage talk and text line. Is it time to make a major change I- in Medicare and increase the, the benefits, including to provide, you know, dental care for, for people? The estimate I saw was, it, it's not ex- inexpensive, um, the cost estimate $238 billion over five years. So it's definitely going to be, you know, an expense at the same time. I would argue when you look at the way we have been throwing money around lately, trying to increase the dental care. And that's a, that's a pretty big quality of life issue for, A number of older Americans, particularly lower income older Americans and income Americans living on fixed incomes with with moderate amounts of revenue. 855 616 1620. Dentists, the American Dentistry Association opposes this. And the the best reason I can argue is that um, they're concerned it will cost dentists money because um, the Medicare reimbursement rates will be below. What they can charge to, um, people who are in the private pay situation. And so what they say is going to happen is dentists are going to lose money because they're going to have to start doing these procedures for less than they can charge those people who come in and can pay. Okay. 855-616-1620. That is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. I guess I just think it's, it's way past time. You know, if we're, if we're looking at things we can do to change the system to make to make the health of Americans, particularly older Americans, materially better, I, I think this is one of the things. Modify Medicare to allow uh, different different levels of, of dental care. Now, if you want to means test it, well that's a whole different story. But I think it's time to expand Medicare to cover dental coverage. Eight five five, six one six, one six twenty, that's the ICANNET Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in a minute.
1: Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
2: 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I'm not a big government guy, but when I'm looking at all these different programs that get expanded, and we're talking about these things, one of the things that does make sense to me is taking basic Medicare and expanding it to cover limited amounts of dental benefits. Now, I'm not talking about, gee, you know, that all of a sudden, you know, everybody's going to get unlimited, you know, access and things like that. But just like dental insurance now for people who are paying it through their employers, just like there's limits on what you can have, but it provides some of the basic dental coverage and things like that. I I think this is long overdue. Now, as I said earlier, I do understand that if – if you have a Medicare supplement, you, you can buy extra insurance. And if you're brave enough to go the Medicare Advantage route, um, some of those plans also offer some, some limited dental care as well. But we're talking about, you know, basic, um, again, basic dental coverage. And I, I think, especially if you look at the numbers of Americans who, you know, essentially are priced out right now over the age of 65 of getting medical treatment. I think this is an expansion that deserves to be looked at. Jeff, here's a text. Uh, Yes, dental work can be life or death. I have a friend who died of a heart attack way too young at 41 years old. The attack occurred because of bacteria that started in his mouth that could have easily been prevented with a checkup. Because of his lack of insurance, he did not go. And I'm sure many of our seniors are in a similar situation. Look, I guess that's kind of my point. If you are, if, if if you head into retirement, and you have a, a certain income level, well, you're still going to see the dentist. I, I I understand that. You're you're going to go to see the dentist. On the other hand, if if you don't have that income level, that's one of the things that people, you know, end up skipping, which is why you, you have the, these staggeringly large numbers. And I got a text from somebody who makes a point. So they talked with the dentist and the dentist said, well, you know, we, we kind of lose money because the Medicare reimbursement rates are going to be 40% lower than what we can charge. I, uh, all right. I, I understand that. Then I guess you can make the decision that you're going to opt out of taking the Medicare things. So, you know, nobody's going to force you to have to do it. But the way it works right now, is almost almost every physician almost every hospital takes medicare and i guess if dentists decide that they want to opt out and they can continue to make money that that's that's fine i'm not saying people should have to work that way but at the same time my guess is there'd be lots of dentists who'd be willing to take the medicare rates 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line let's start with mary mary you're on wtmj hello
0: Oh, hi, Jeff. How are you doing?
2: I'm well, thank you. My note says you're calling from Pike. Is that it? Is that right? Pipe. P-I-P-E. Okay, got it.
0: Pipe. What? I'm actually, I'm, I'm heading home.
2: Got but it. Okay. <laughs> got it. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, you know, I watched my dad's health fail for a number of years. And in the end, obviously, teeth is something that they just don't take care of. Um, you know, grew up on a farm, they never went to a dentist, um, didn't have the money, nine children, you know, so his teeth, Really, it, it, it affected the quality of his life. Yep. Um, he, tried, he tried to cut corners. He tried to go to somebody that was not probably as good of a dentist as maybe he could have had if it was under a plan. And he had dentures fitted incorrectly. They never fit right. Um, it was just a struggle for him. And, and it's something that, you're right, it's one of the, the things on the bottom of the, the list that get taken care of. Um, and I really think if it can if it can, if it can improve the quality of life for uh, the aging population, which is growing. Um, I'm all for it.
2: Yeah. Now, again, I'm getting all this feedback from people saying, well, you know, the, the, somebody like your father could have made that choice. You know, there, there's, you, you can, if you, again, if you're brave enough to go the Medicare Advantage route, you, you could, you know, there, there are plans that would give you some degree of uh, medical coverage. There's supplements that you can buy, but I still think this, this should be a part of, of the basic medical treatment. Cause I, I think, and, and I would, I would, you know, yeah. I would say the same thing about vision and hearing and, and all those other things. Yeah. Why? You know, we, we haven't done right. major Medicare expense. Uh, you know, expansions. This, this is one that, that does deal with all these aspects of quality of life and health issues. So, yes,
0: I, I agree, and I think as you age, um, you know, all these little things add up. Unfortunately, our bodies deteriorate, and break down. But you know, if I, I mean, it's not we're all going to be at that place, right? And, and you're going to want, yeah, yeah. So you kind of have to think about what that's going to be like for you. And, uh, and it's really hard to see another person you love struggle through you know yeah. different things. So, yeah, I think if we can do it, I mean, we can do all kinds of other stuff. I mean, this is something that I really think um, would benefit a, a huge segment of the population. Yeah, and,
2: and thanks for calling. Again, I want people to understand, I, 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 you, just like your, your dental insurance now, in all likelihood, ha, has limits on it. I mean, I'm not saying that, okay, anybody who you know, wants to come in and have, you know, all their teeth capped or whatever that the taxpayer should pay for it. But I mean, when we talk about you know, maybe some basic dental care, like you know, a, a one or two preventive visits a year, and maybe you know, a, a limit. Um, I don't know. So, so if you crack a tooth, you know, you you can afford to have a crown put in or, or something like that. Now, again, I, there there has to be limits, and the devil I knowledge is in the details. But but right now, we we tell people you're essentially on your own. Now, again, I I understand Medicare Advantage, and I'm not a huge fan of Medicare Advantage plans. That's I think very you're taking certain risks with regard to you know the there certain as to where you can go and things like that and the Medicare supplements. Yes, you can buy separate insurance if you have the wherewithal to do it. I, I get all that, I understand that, but for the people that don't have the wherewithal to do it, they're, they're kind of they're sort of on their own. And if we're throwing around all the money that we're throwing around on all these different social programs and stuff, this, this is at least one that I think you can make an argument for. Marty in Watertown. Hi, Marty. You're on WTMJ.
3: Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. I just uh, wanted to point out there's a lot of seniors and even younger people that are, you know, used to work part-time when COVID hit they just decided to pull the plug and take the retirement and not try to fight for their unemployment. But what's missing is maybe the ability for part-time benefits for those who are still working part-time. You know, everybody says, we're hiring, we're hiring and join us. We're a great family place or a great place to work with part-time benefits like dental and, um, I care. Maybe hearing for those on on Medicare would be great. It'd be a great. I, I know some friends of mine that would jump at that and go, go right back to work.
2: Yeah, no, they, well, right. I mean, again, that would be a that would be a benefit that employers could end up offering. I am just saying that I, I think this is a significant and a major health issue that is facing you know older. Americans And I think, you know, when we look at all the different social programs that we've thrown money at, many of which I think have been poor, poor investments or ill-timed investments, if we were going to take some money and say, okay, what can we really do to improve the quality of life of seniors, one would be helping underwrite the cost of dental treatment, so maybe it would, in fact, improve their quality of life. And as far as the, the dentists, and again, the, the big argument that dentists have as a general rule is our, our our compensation level would be too low, and we couldn't make as much money putting in a, a crown if we're under Medicare as we could when we're private payer. And I get that. I understand it. Well, then maybe the answer is the dentist makes the decision, hey, we're not going to take Medicare. My guess is that some dentists will reach that point, but other dentists will be glad to take Medicare and they'll just figure out a way to operate at lower profit margins. It's an individual choice that's there. This is something that they are going to look at. Matter of fact, this is included in this, this huge $3.5 trillion, you know, thing that, that's moving its way through Congress. And again, to me, it's one of the reasons where the devil is in the details. There's a lot of stuff in this $3.5 trillion package that is off, that's absolutely appalling unnecessary, wasteful. Then there's other stuff that, you know, maybe if you pull it out and you have it as a standalone, you say, "Okay, you can make a judgment for this." Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
1: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
2: So very glad to have you with us. The I have been watching with horror what's going on in New Orleans. I mean, the good news is that the Unlike what happened 16 years ago with Hurricane Katrina, the, the levees appear to have held and you do not have the, the kind of widespread flooding and the incredible loss of life that accompanied Hurricane Katrina. The the bad news is it's pretty bad down there, Um, you know, just an, an incredibly strong storm. And the biggest story appears to be the idea that there, my understanding is there are 13 or 14 stations that provide power to New Orleans. All of them are are down. Couple have been taken offline, but all of them are down. So there's no electricity going into New Orleans. And and this is before you even get to the question of are, are power lines down or whatever. I'm saying that the the plants that generate the electricity are in fact shut down. And what they're saying is that so even even when they start to come online and they start to bring those up, then there's going to still be the issue of God we got we got power lines down etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And then starting like what we went through a week or so ago, a week and a half ago, the whole process of trying to repair the power lines to get power back. But in some of the worst case scenarios, what they are estimating, is that um, New Orleans might, might be, or at least portions of New Orleans, might be without power, absent a generator or something, for a week two weeks, maybe even more. And, you know, if you wanna talk about, my gosh, how, how terrible that's gonna be, you've got all the water, you've got the heat, they're telling people to just like stay inside, you've got no electricity. The other concern that they have is, is looting. And I, I understand that, you know, you, you wanna think, oh my gosh, when people are going through this, you know, would there really be people who engage in looting and stuff like that? And that's one of, I guess, the big concerns that are here. To give you an idea of how bad this was, there's there's the Waffle House indicator. Um and, and actually and this is Melissa, you ever been to a Waffle House?
0: I have, actually. I, uh,
2: I, I love Waffle I Houses. I do, too. You find them all through the, the South. But, okay, this is the, the then-FEMA administrator, Craig uh, Fugate. He, he he coined the term Waffle House Index in 2011 when a tornado hit Joplin, Missouri. Two Waffle Houses stayed open despite the tornado that caused, like, several billion dollars worth of damage. So the, the Waffle House, it's one of the ways they look at it, because the Waffle Houses never close. And if the Waffle House closes, you know... You know something something bad is going to happen. And um, apparently, okay, the the Hurricane Ida, 150-mile-an-hour winds five waffle houses closed in south southern Louisiana and I don't mean to mock it but it's kind of serious this shows you know if the waffle houses aren't staying open and some of the waffle houses closed cover nearly 50 miles of of land and of them um, and then the other ones ended up closing early and just saying this was a monster storm that caused all this damage
0: oh it was so bad and you know I woke up in the middle of the night last night and I, I couldn't get it off my mind Jeff I just kept thinking about all the people in Louisiana who didn't have power and maybe stayed stayed back didn't move from where they were staying in louisiana because you know there's always those people that don't leave when they're told to, to go when a storm comes through well
2: also in defense of people that stayed this was a very fast moving storm mm-hmm. i mean you know, sometimes you, you get that notice hey it, it, a week ahead of time this is what the track of the hurricanes looking like and they put out the evacuation orders this one developed so fast that i think even in new orleans they didn't Order the mandatory evacuation because then what they do is they close all the roads and they only have them go in one way and they just didn't feel that they could do that. So I mean this it was a fast moving storm as well, but the, I mean the levees held even if the Waffle House is closed. John McCure, he and Melissa are back in just a couple minutes. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner.